This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian, tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you're thinking, I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain, Sierra says, save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat up old running shoes, Sierra says, save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery, well then we say, you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now, go. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Rest is Football with me, Gary Lineker, Alan Shearer and Micah Richards. Uh, We're recording this on Sunday evening and what a Sunday it's been. Earlier on, Leicester were triumphant with a 4-1 away win at Blackburn and then we watched um, the Ryder Cup, the final day and a splendid, brilliant victory um, for Europe and I believe even you, Mike, who didn't know what the Ryder Cup was just a few days ago, w- was watching for a while. To be fair, you sucked me in. In, <laughs> in the group we've got, in the group we've got, you keep talking about it. This shot's great. That shot's brilliant. So I thought I'd have a little ganders. And to be honest, I enjoyed it. It was enjoyable Sunday. Yeah. Well, both um, Alan and myself, big golf aficionados. I used to play a lot, don't play anymore. Alan still plays. Um, God, it was special, wasn't it? And the Americans came back strongly enough to make it really tense towards the end. Yeah, what what, what an afternoon it was watching that. Um, yeah. I, I, ne- <laughs> I never moved off the, off the settee watching it. It was just incredible. I mean, it was a lot closer than we thought it was going to be, but that made it more interesting. I mean, I have to say, I've been to some great sporting events. Been so lucky over the years. I've done Augusta a few times. I've done. We've we've all done World Cup finals and European Championships. But the Ryder Cup is just something different. I was lucky enough to go to the one in uh, in Scotland. Um, you've just got to experience it because of the atmosphere. But you, I think you're far better off watching it on TV. You see a lot more. Yeah, you really do need to see, particularly the last day. I remember I used to cover it for the BBC when we had highlights, and I used to do the golf. And uh, they used to, like, because we did the highlights package, they wanted me to go and do links on the golf course towards the latter stage. I missed the whole, the end of it. They used to drive me absolutely insane. So it was fantastic watch. Anyway, we're here to talk about, obviously, football. Um, And um, the clue is in the title of the um, podcast. Um, It's been another fascinating um, uh, weekend. And I I suppose um, we have to start with the... The remarkable story of um, the VAR implosion yesterday. No, but before we go on to that, Gary, go on. 
can we talk about when we're on BBC, I've got to yeah. call you Gary. Yeah, I'm not. And on, to, on but... here, I call you Gaz. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> and what, what did you say before we went on air yesterday for Match of the Day? Well, I reminded you both, particularly Alan, that I, I, I said to Alan, like, don't forget this is not the podcast. <laughs> Don't drop the F bomb. <laughs> I swear, I tried to look together. I, I don't think I've ever been concentrating so much in all my life was last night thinking. Please do not swear, do not swear, do not yeah. swear. Can no, you but what, what was the word? There was a oh, word yeah. behind the scenes we was talking about just before he was about to do the analysis. Oh, what, Alan, what was it, that it, word, it, Gary? This was about that? very, oh yeah, it was incomprehensible, wasn't it? <laughs> Alan was, easy, Micah, easy. So before, Uncomprehensible, Micah. Just be behind the scenes, for people who yeah. are listening and watching, just before you're about to do your analysis, you're getting into the zone, aren't you? You're thinking about what you're going to say, the timing of the clips, what clip is coming next, so you know you can get into a little bit of a rhythm. Mm. But Alan, for some reason, decided he wanted to add some fancy word right before he was about to do his analysis. And I'm like, don't do it. It's going to mess you up. It's going to mess you up. But fair, fair play to you. You got it right. You got it right before you did. Got it. Some, some fancy word. Yeah. And it actually would probably interest people to know how we go about the analysis, particularly in a program when we've got eight games. Because um, in the afternoon, obviously, you we you can't watch all eight games specifically to do analysis. So you you know both you guys come in early for the early kickoff, so you've both got a different eye on the early game. And then at three o'clock, there were six games, weren't there? So what happens then is that Alan will be designated a match, and he'll obviously be involved in that decision, as will Micah. So you've got one game each, so that's three, and then. You, Obviously, you'll both watch the late game. So you've got four games where you can absolutely concentrate on that particular match and get some kind of analysis. And then with the other matches, there'll be the editor, Rich, and there'll be myself and um, obviously the people that edit the matches. That And we're all looking for other things to discuss on, on those various games. You then go away and do all your analysis. We've sort of talked about that before, but then... When the program starts itself, because we've got eight matches, you, you can't plan everything before in, in a rehearsal. So what we do, having already seen the games, is that when the matches are on, showing the highlights, we run through uh, what we're going to talk about. Um, so, you know, because obviously it's very constrained in terms of time because we, we've got to make sure that we show eight games. Um, we, we get enough stick if you're on last anyway, but if we had to drop a football match because we've run out of time, that would have been a problem. So we'll be designated a certain amount of time um, between matches where we'll do the analysis. Um, and I obviously have to know what your analysis is to get you into that particular um, aspect of it. And then the second match will go and then we'll discuss again uh, what you're going to do for the next match. And then that's how it works. It's, it's very difficult though, especially when there's eight games, like mm. you said. I, I think you want to have a really good tactical analysis piece, but the game between Spurs and Liverpool was more mm. about the the events that happened in the game. So obviously we'll talk about the, uh, the 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 red card and we'll talk about the offside and all that sort of thing. So we want to give you the best detail answer 
And sometimes that can just be a strong opinion looking at an incident, or it could be some like a tactical setup. But because obviously they went down to to nine men, there was really no tactical insight we could have given. Well, I think if Liverpool had have hung on to of one course, one, yes. then you'd have done the stoic defending um, against the odds. I mean, that was exactly, the plan, wasn't it? And exactly. then suddenly they they score that incredible like own goal in the in the last second. So then you, it doesn't really work to do that. So you, you have to have a bit of a rethink. But that's the thing is you're always having to think because how many times, Alan, you know exactly what you're doing up until 70 minutes, 75 minutes, it's boxed off. You know exactly what you're doing. You know exactly what you're talking about. You, yeah. you know which clips yeah. you want to use. And then there's two late goals. You have to rip <laughs> up absolutely everything that you've done and start from scratch. And that could take you an hour, an hour and a half to build something else, couldn't it? And also, whatever you do is never going to be enough for the team that's won. I mean, because they always <laughs> want you to speak for three or four minutes about their team and it's it's impossible. I mean, yeah. I don't know whether you read any social media last night, Mike, and we were getting fucking hammered off the Luton fans because they eventually <laughs> won. <laughs> and we'd never give them, and I said they did a really did good job and it was a good result. And you said about their set pieces and it still wasn't enough for them. <laughs> Uh, uh, one thing I've learned over the many decades of, of, of broadcasting is that um, it's impossible to keep everybody yeah. happy and that football fans are extraordinarily needy. Uh, oh. <laughs> and also, so Luton fans, if you're listening, we love you. We love you. <laughs> You've got the best pitch in the Premier League and you are fucking awesome. <laughs> We give, we give him credit. We said about the set pieces. We, you know, Lockyer timing his run with Morris coming round the back. I know they played well, but it's what defined the game and set pieces no, no. defined the moment. So, yes, um, sorry if we offended you, Luton. Uh, we really shouldn't have done. Um, it was a, a, a great victory. In fact, because of that, let's start our proper football chat um, with that victory for Luton. Yes. <laughs> and you can say, and obviously we have a little bit more time on a podcast than you do on a, a live television show where you've got to show eight matches. Um, and it was a huge victory uh, for Luton. Um, the first of the three promoted teams to get um, a victory, a win. And that was um, obviously significant. And to do so at, at Goodison, um, Everton have, have, have really struggled at home so far this season. But, um, you know, they've they've been competitive in, in most of the games that they've played. Um, Rob Edwards kept saying that he was happy that they're improving and he liked the way that they were going about things. And um, it was proven to be true. It was a great result for them. They played. Um, they played some good stuff. It was always they were always going to have a chance there because of Everton's home form, and they had to go there and try and take uh, advantage of that. And they did that. I mean, they caused them all sorts of problems, particularly at set pieces, um, which we all know and everyone knows in football are so important and so vital. And if you get them right at both ends, defensively and and attacking wise then you're going to have a chance and that's what won them the game yesterday and they've got another huge game haven't they Tuesday night I think it is where they they play Burnley um who haven't quite been at it um Vincent's saying similar things to what Rob Edwards is saying in terms of um he's quite happy with his team and they're learning and they're going to get better and better so it's uh, already it's a huge game on on Tuesday Luton v Burnley 
Um, we've all been involved in um, relegation fights um, in different ways, and it's it's probably a little bit premature to talk about uh, what it's like um, life down the bottom of a table. Um, you had it Aston Villa, Micah. You had it certainly as a um, coming in at Newcastle with a few games to go. I had it in my very early career, some <laughs> so long ago. It's it's hard to remember getting relegated with um, with Leicester City, and wins feel so important don't they? It's almost like they're more important um, than when you're near the top of the table, when I suppose wins be- are more frequent. You know what? When you're in that situation, it is, it's so strange because we started on the Shearwood and things were going so well. We was playing attractive football, easy on the eye. We'd brought in loads of different players in, in that season. We were so confident. We've had two Premier League winners with me and Jolien playing centre-half. So we always thought we'd be secure at the back. We had Adrissagana Gay, who was outstanding in, in the midfield. Uh, we had experience like Agbong Lahore up front. It, it didn't help that we sold Benteke, Delph and Ron Vla in the same summer. So you're losing a big part of your team. You're losing the spine of your team. When I signed there, I believed Delph was staying at least. I, di- I didn't think Benteke was, was he's probably going to go because he was at that that level. But it, it got so bad at Villa when we changed the manager. So it obviously wasn't working out for Sherwood for whatever reason. They wanted to well, make a change. you talked about that last week, didn't you? The, yes, the we did. And then the guard brought in, came in. brought in Remy Guard and... It, again, it was too nice. We, we, like you said, we've spoken about that. But just as as a player, you need a leader, someone who's going to stand up and be counted for and have just, it can be a basic way of playing, which is going to get you results. Do you, do you think, Mike, I mean, I've thought this for a, for, for a long time, that, that clubs that are st- struggling in the early part of the season or even midway through the season. They panic too often, the owners of football clubs. I mean, obviously going down is disastrous and financially especially and all these kind of things. And and they all think that like by changing the manager, there's going to be some kind of quick fix. And I think the stats tell you generally that's actually rarely the case. You, you sometimes get a little bounce, um, but even that is a little bit of a myth. Um, if you take the overall average of of how new managers doing, I mean, take last season in the Premier League, um, for example, the teams that were relegated: Southampton, Leeds, Leicester, all got rid of their managers, and then clubs um, that kind of stuck with it, like Bournemouth, for for example. I know they lost. I mean, I know they changed manager, but it was four games in at the start of the season for for certain reasons. But I sometimes think that panic thing. It, it doesn't really work. I think as well, don't forget, we talk about philosophy in football and style of play so much, don't we? So if you bring a new manager in, say three months into the season, it's almost like starting all again. You've pretty much mm. played away all pre-season. You, you need to keep doing the same things to get results. Every time you want to change, yes, you can tweak little bits, but if you've had eight weeks of preseason, knowing what your job is going to be, how you how you want to affect the game going forward, then a manager comes in, changes everything, then you're just starting from, from, from scratch. And 
I believe someone like Deitch is perfect for someone like Everton just because he's been there, he's done it, he works on percentages, he'll work on set pieces, he'll be able to stay deep and then go forward when need be. Calvert-Lewin's back and he's back scoring. Um, and just having, a, it might not be as easy on the eye as we all want, but it's just about getting them little percentages that will make the difference in staying up and going down. Such a, such other rewards though, aren't they? Is that is that's why the teams panic. And you can bet your bottom yeah. dollar that come the next international break that <laughs> at least at least one will will be will be sacked um in, in the Premier League. Um I hope I'm wrong, but such is often the case that 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 that, that happens because owners panic because they can't afford to be relegated, more so now than ever. Yeah, I mean, imagine panicking enough that with eight games to go at the end of a season, you're struggling to fight relegation, that you suddenly bring in a manager that's had no experience of managing a football club. Yeah, but it's hard, it's hard don't they? As You know, as no, a it's player... Tr- it's tough. As, as a player, you're thinking, because when it got to Villa... It got so bad and so toxic within our dressing room. It was, it was. Did it? We've, we've got to In be. In what way? Derby's were were players falling out or was there? We do not want to be remembered as the worst ever Premier League team. So whatever we do, make sure we beat Derby's worst ever points total. <laughs> that, that, that's what it became. It that's just an be- ambition. It did. It just became about in, individuals. You know what it's like. We've all played football. When things are going well, it's it's brilliant. It's all a team. But when things are not going so well, it's all just about individuals. And we came a team full of individuals. Well, I got seven in, in the paper, or I know I can get a move at the end of the season. <laughs> you I, I swear, I swear. Did you really what, genuinely, Micah, take any notice of the marks in the paper? Really? Because the, <laughs> the media went back then, they were... They're running the narrative, aren't they? So if you're getting a seven, an eight on the paper in a struggling side, like <laughs> the managers, the coaches, look, oh, Richards is doing all right, even in that struggling side. He, he shouldn't, he's too good for that team. And we'll, we'll, we'll have a look at him at so the end of the season. So you think managers judge players by the marks they get <laughs> on the newspaper? <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, I'm saying the narrative. I'm telling you, Gary, I'm telling you. Do you know you, what your mistake was, Micah? What? You didn't befriend the local journalist. <laughs> you should have took him for a few pints and food and he would have given you eight and nine every week. <laughs> you know what? You know what the problem was, Al? I was letting down the team. I was the worst player. <laughs> that's, that's what was happening. Uh, uh, God. Uh, 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 we've not got uh, around to that, Dominic's talking about um, the game on on, on Saturday and Spurs-Liverpool match was um, extraordinary in many ways, wasn't it? I I think it's fair to say that um, Liverpool didn't get the best of the decisions. I mean, the VAR was, um, I mean, we were led to believe that it was just a moment of panic um, in the VAR hub. Yeah, but what what this does, Gary, is is that it, it throws chaos from now on going forward into VAR because whatever decision happens now the trust whether it's true absolutely everyone's going to question it and I mean can you remember I think it was last week or the week before Ten Hag was moaning that that was never offside Mm. when they actually drew the line and 
you, you, can't, you can't really argue with it. Now, everyone was laughing at him because of that. Now yeah. everyone's going to be thinking, hang on a minute. He said that was never offside. Was he, was he right? Have they fixed the line? And that, that's always going to be thrown at them now. I mean, the, it was like taking, I don't know, three forward and four backwards, what happened yesterday. And it was because I, I don't know how they're going to recover from that. It was such a monumental uh, error catastrophic error because Howard Webb has come in, been working so hard in trying to get everyone on side, trying to speak to so many people to, to say, believe, trust in us, we're trying to do our very best. And then that happens yesterday. I mean, he must have been banging his head against the wall thinking, what on earth is going on? I mean, the one thing I'll say is we, we all know and recognise that refereeing is a very, very difficult job um, on the field. And we thought that with VAR, it will, will help them. And I'm, I'm sure overall it has done and does recognise certain, as they call it, clear and obvious errors um, between. So it ultimately, human beings will still make mistakes. And if there's, if there's even if it goes to VAR, they're still human beings and they will get things wrong. And, and in this case, it was obviously a, a clear human error, a moment of panic and and stuff. And, um, and it, it does kind of, what from that, you will have less kind of trust um, in the system. And, and as we all know, that fans think that, that there's conspiracies against their particular clubs and all this kind of stuff. And I'm sure we all know that the referees are, are, are trying their best and doing an honest job and that applies to VAR. And probably no one, apart from probably all Liverpool fans and their players and their manager, will be more upset than I imagine the, the two VAR officials. They know they've got it wrong. But footballers make mistakes too. Yeah, I, I, I'd be on there after, you know, a day of sort of, just having a little bit of calm and reflecting and look at the context, you know, in the, in the whole picture of everything. Yes, they did make a mistake, but it's not the end of the world. They'll come out straight away and give the apology. I, and of course, the apology is not going to mean anything to <laughs> no. Liverpool fans, but at least they owned up and owned the situation and they didn't try and sort of brush it under the carpet. And... We are humans, we make mistakes. I think Al did a really good point though, um, yesterday. It was not just the VAR, it was more, my, my problem was it was the assistant VAR. You know, so if, if someone messes up, you've got your assistant to bail you out. But it's almost like, it's just gone through a chain of wrong decisions. So I have got sympathy with them just because they made a mistake. But I just believe they are, because we've all been on VAR saying it's taken too long for them to make decisions. They rushed They're it. trying to make the correct decision too quickly. Just take a breath. If it takes another 20 seconds to get to the right decision, that's all you have to do. That would be my- Do you know what it is, Micah? Go on. It's uncomprehensible. <laughs> In incomprehensible, Alan. <laughs> You got uh, it wrong, you uh, fucking idiot! <laughs> do you know? Uh, do you know what I think? Question for your Go on, go on. If you could, would you scrap VAR now? Um, it's a really good question. I honestly think that um, most fans would probably, particularly those that go to the stadium, would probably say, "Absolutely, let's ban it." and go back. I still think it can be a good thing. Um, I'm 
sometimes get very frustrated by it and think, you know, how can you make such mistakes? And it would perhaps be better um, without it because, you know, we'd, we'd still analyze mistakes, but you kind of, you can be a little bit more forgiving if a referee makes an error than perhaps someone that's then shown 20 replays of a decision. I think m most of the time they probably get it right. But I think what would, if, you know, because the truth is it's, Whatever we think, it's it's not going to be scrapped. They've invested way too much in it. It's worldwide. They've spent fortunes on it. And and I think overall, you'll get more correct decisions. What I think will help, we need communication. We need the fans to hear the communication, the talk between the referee on the field and the VAR people. And then I think people will understand it a little bit more. And we've hear it in other sports. It works perfectly well. I do not understand why we're not hearing the conversations um, between referees and, and the VAR, and then they can be calmer about things. Everyone will want to listen. It will also make more entertainment, and that's what it's ultimately football should be. It's a sport. It should be entertaining for people. Um, and I think that would, would seriously help things, and I still do not understand why it's not taking place. Maker? Yeah. I, I, would you scrap I would, it? I would agree. I would, yeah, I'd scrap it. Goal line technology, obviously keep, but VAR Off, is, is just become a keep? nonsense. Yeah, we, we've discussed the offsides. The we could have the semi-automated ones if we, mm. if we really wanted to. But I just think if you if you do it by your feet, we spoke about this guy before, haven't we? Do it by your feet. If your feet are on side, you're on side. Forget all your body and your well, shoulder. Well, you, you say that. That's exactly what happened last night. <laughs> his feet were, his feet were quite clearly um, the defender's feet. I should say were quite clearly playing Diaz um, on side. It was, it was a, it was a cock up. And it, it, scrap, it was scrap a, VAR, scrap it. Scrap. <laughs> yeah. I would, I would. What I would, would you keep do, it, um, I would keep it because. And I, I mean, I, I know he's working extremely hard, um, but we've just got to get better people running it. How do you do that? And it's a, di it's a different skill set. Just because you're a good referee or you're a professional referee and you know all the laws doesn't mean that you can run VAR. As we know, it's different. It's completely different. It's a different skill set. So I'd get, I'd get better people in to run it. But what are better people? Former because you've got ex-professionals, yeah. right? You've got, you've, got a, you've got so many ex-professional footballers out of work. Hmm. So many of them, I'm sure, would come Alan, in. Alan, you know as well as I do that a lot of professional footballers and um, do not know many of the laws of the game. Now, obviously, they'll, they'll, be, they'll need to study it and to learn it. I just wanted to make that clear. Though. You don't have to play it at the highest level. You can, you, can, you can at least have played. You know how it works. You know what goes on in games. You've played in the games. Um, I, I don't... I would, I would certainly invite... I know Howard's trying to get, get more, but it's, it's, it, I don't know why they just don't get people in that VAR room, ex-players, to, to, to lend a hand. They couldn't do any worse. I think the referees are worse for VAR than they were beforehand. Mm, which is a shame. It is, yeah, because they're under that much pressure, aren't they? Uh, absolutely, there's so much pressure and um, it's, it's such a huge global game and, 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 and so impactful on so many people's lives. I mean, you know, it's like, it's almost like a religion to, to a lot of football fans. Um, and it, It's it, also worth remembering though, if VAR wasn't in that game yesterday, that goal would have still been offside because the assistant or the linesman gave it offside. That's a good point. It's a good point. <laughs> and it's a point 
that we'll take into the break. Hello, welcome back to The Rest is Football with uh, Mike Richards, Alan Shearer and uh, myself, Gary Lineker. Um, where should we go next? I, I want to give um, Aston Villa a big mention. I, I know you've already mentioned the Micah, but in different circumstances. Um, this Saturday, they 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 were terrific. Um, they thumped Brighton. Um, Brighton seemed to be a team that either win easy or, or lose easy. Um, but, you know, Aston Villa... And Unai Emery have made a, a, a fabulous start to the season after an exceptional um, season that Emery had last year. Yeah, the, the, I, I watched that game yesterday, Gary. Um, that was one of my games that I did and I watched them closely and Aston Villa were terrific. I, I do think that Diaby's been a game changer for them because of his pace up front, because of how they can how they can sit back and, and, and suck up a bit of pressure. But then once they win that ball back, because of his pace and his ability to get in behind, then um, I think he's been a game changer for them. And he's certainly helping uh, Ollie Watkins be a better player. Of course, he got his hat-trick in front of the England manager. Um, and they they battered the two young boys in midfield for Brighton, Gilmore and Hinchelwood, I think it was. Um, yeah. With uh, they were just Villa were too strong for them in the in, in the middle of the park and uh, yeah they dominated them. Uh, talking of Ollie Watkins, Alan, um, where where do you have him in the the, the ranking? Like, obviously, in terms of England strikers, um, behind Harry Kane, he's obviously clearly the number one. But at, um, after mm. that, you know, it, he's up there. But Ivan Tony will be coming back and playing um, in January. Um, he's, Callum, he's, Wilson. Callum Wilson is um, obviously he's, he's kind of swapping a little bit with Isak at, at Newcastle what do you think Alan? Yeah I like him um, he's, he's certainly very willing um, he's always going to try and get in behind I don't think he's a great finisher I think sometimes his technique lets him down but he's always going to get you in and around in between 10 and 20 goals which for a Premier League club um, that's what exactly what you need and what you want. I, I'm, I don't think he's elite, but I think he's certainly in the, in that next level down in in the same names as that you mentioned. How do you, you know, speaking to two strikers here, you know, when you say Alan, he's not probably the most natural of 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 finishers. And I always ask you to the question: Can you can you improve that? Can you improve that? And we've talked about the 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 technical aspect of probably the shooting, but is, is something got to do with the way you slow down before you shoot as well? Because a lot of the strikes I see Watkins, he's almost fluffing sometimes the shots because he's rushing it. Is there not in slowing down as well? So it feels slightly harsh given the fact that he scored a hat-trick the other night. But <laughs> <laughs> No, I just mean in yeah. terms of getting him to the next level. That that's that's all I mean. It's I don't it's it's a hard one, isn't it, Alan? Because it you know, I've we've both played up front and obviously we've got um, you know, decent records both um in terms of domestic football and international football. But I think it's it's a natural thing. I think it's a, a calmness under pressure. Um, I think it's to be cold um, at the right moment, um, not to get too emotional in those 
situations. Um, it's instant decision making. Um, and I think that's almost a natural talent. The one thing that I think you can really work on a lot is obviously you can practice your finishing and all sorts of things. But I think the one thing you can really think about um, mentally is your movement and how you get yourself into spaces. And I don't think that many strikers understand about attacking a space rather than waiting for the see where the ball's going to go and then attacking the ball. I think, you know, the secret, I've said it many times, I think it's it's mathematical. Um, it's the laws of probability as, as, a, as a striker that you keep attacking a space where you hope the ball will go and think the ball will go. Now, nine times out of 10, it won't go there. But if on the occasion that it does and the 10th or 20th attempt, um, you'll have a tap in and everyone goes, oh, he did nothing all game, but he had a simple tap in. They missed the 20 runs that you've made uh, prior to that. So I think that's an area that you can definitely get better. Calmness under pressure. I'm not sure you can you, you can learn that. I think that you've either got that or you've not. Um, making the right decision on a finish, I think, comes with either confidence, experience, and calmness. And um, so it. And you put all those together, yeah. you've got a top class striker. <laughs> put all those together, you got Alan Shearer. <laughs> <laughs> no, I do. I like I, I like him, and, and um, I, I mean. I don't know. Eighty-five percent of the clubs in the Premier League would 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 love him. Would love to have him in their uh, mm. in their team. So that uh, that tells you. But I don't. I don't. I don't think we're blessed uh, as as a country at the minute with that many top class centre forwards. Uh, is any Are country? Is any country, Alan? If you look around the world, you get how many? How yeah, many sure. absolutely mm. prolific top strikers? Oh, that you've obviously we've we've yeah. discussed this before. Who's the best? You know that, that we've had in recent times. But in terms of number nines, obviously at the moment Lewandowski, Kane, Haaland, um, and that's that's in terms of absolutely. I only I only say that Gary because I just I, I I mean maybe unfairly that I always look back at it in 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 my mm. time when there yeah. were so many great strikers around. I mean mm. Fowler, Cole, yeah. Yeah, Ferdinand, yeah. Sheringham. And, um, so much in right. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry if I've missed a few of them out, but the yeah. list of strikers around then was just incredible. in fact in your era yeah. that was that was like a golden era of strikers, wasn't it? Mm. They must have all hated you taking their you know anyone's place. <laughs> well, in the is England that because you was playing two up front now? Well, if that, you're going to be playing well, two up front, yeah, it's a good shout. More often you'd produce more number nines, wouldn't you? Really, if you're going to, but now. The formations have changed. It's more four-three-three is probably the most used formation where your forwards are more sort of winger types or a wide forwards like your Sterlings, yeah. like your Sane. Yeah, you know, changed. it's changed, yeah. hasn't it? That's that's what I think. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's very true, isn't it? Um, at the moment, the most obvious and by far the probably the most prolific is is Haaland. <laughs> but he was kept quiet and that brings me on nicely um, because we, we could not go through this podcast without mentioning that fabulous victory um, for Wolverhampton Wanderers against uh, Manchester City. It was um, it was backs against the wall stuff for most of the game. But to be honest, City didn't create too much against them. An excellent game plan from, from, from Gary O'Neill. And they, they thoroughly deserved that victory in the end. Brilliant counter-attacking game. Mikey, you did that game, didn't you? 
Well, yeah, it's it's a game I uh, I was keeping an eye on and I was looking at the Arsenal game as well. But um, Alan did some really good analysis yesterday on how they sort of went from one end of the pitch to the other so quickly in that transition at pace and Neto was fantastic. But one thing was evident for everyone, Rodri. Missing, you know, him being suspended. It's more just he controls the tempo of the game. And I'm not saying if he was there that they would have won, but I'm just like, it, it went too easy from, from back to front without no real protection in there. And Kovacic, I really love. I think he's done well since he's he's come to Man City, but he's he was more of a, a dribbler in, in yesterday's game and he kept getting caught on the ball when they just need a little bit of calm in that midfield but take nothing away from from Wolves look they had to uh, withhold the, the, the pressure I think Man City had like 70% possession in, in that game but it's what they did with it and I think Neto I think he's up to like five assists this season as well uh, he's a real standout player for them and in the end although they had to weather the storm, they deserve something from that game. Absolutely. And they only had, they only had one shot on target. You know that one, <laughs> know. one shot on target. 1-2-1, <laughs> one, one, one shot on target. 1-2-1, one, one, yeah. yeah. I think, yeah. yeah. What a result for, for Gary O'Neill. Mm. Um, massive three points for uh, for him and for uh, for Wolves. And that might just give them the confidence they need to, uh, to kick on a bit. Yeah. I wonder what Bournemouth fans think about that because they've struggled at the start of the season. Obviously, they've got a good hiding on Saturday as well. I wonder, you know, they they sacked him after he did an unbelievably good job um, to keep yeah. Bournemouth up um, and, and finish the season very strongly. Um, I wonder, if, I don't know, but I, it just seems to me that, you know, they've brought in a, a, a different manager. Now, I've, obviously, I I don't know what the players think and how it's going with, with Iriola, but um, it was an interesting change. Um, and now, of course, he's at Wolves and he's, he's comfortably above... Bournemouth at present. We know things in football can can change terribly quickly, though. Yeah, I mean, we said at the time that it was incredibly harsh, um, and this guy has to come in or better come in and, and do a decent job because I know they're not in the business to make friends. But um, he had to come in and, and stamp his authority pretty quick, and it's not that hasn't been the case. And if they don't get results pretty soon, he'll be under huge pressure. I think the the Bournemouth manager Ariola, he actually plays really good football and they try to be on the front foot but when they get to the final third of the pitch it's almost like they run out of a little bit of ideas like Kirk is really good down at left hand side Max Arrows on the right hand side they've got they've got good players but they just lack that little bit of composure in the, in the final third and they need to put that right or they'll they'll struggle this mm. year uh, yes I think that's um, I think that's fair to say Moment of the week. Um, there are a couple for me. I don't know whether anyone saw it, but I saw the highlights of um, Celtic Motherwell. Um, and it was, it was a mad game. I think Celtic scored in the um, 87th minute. And then we know we get long um, injury times at present. Motherwell equalised in the 95th minute. And then Celtic <laughs> scored a winner again in, no. in the 97th minute. They, they, they're top of the league there. Brendan Rodgers, obviously 
very popular amongst us Leicester fans always will be for um, giving us the um, glory of winning um, the FA Cup but um, we are getting some exciting finales and obviously the, the, the Liverpool um, own goal was, was, was another one that we had oh. well into injury time but oh. it's making for real late drama Oh. It's chaos some, at times. Chaos, isn't it? Mm. I know we've we've spoken about that game already, but that Matip, I, on, I just wanted the ground to swallow him up. When that went in the back of the net, I thought it was, a, initially when it first went in, I thought, that's a great finish. And then it, <laughs> we looked at the replay, it was like, it come off Matip. I was like, you guys won't know that, that pain, what it feels like. You lot are strikers, you lot get all the glory. And us defenders, we defending with nine men. We're defending with nine men. And no. you're doing such a good job. And last minute, you just, you know, can't sort your feet out. And it goes into the, oh, it was horrible. I thought Jürgen spoke really well after the game, you know what I mean? He was remarkably calm, wasn't he? Imagine how angry he was, seething. I mean, you can imagine oh. him going in the dressing room. And I mean, oh, but I, I thought he really... Kept his um, kept his counsel after the game and spoke really well and probably get a better response for that than than coming out and hammering everyone and the VAR and everything else and I thought he was really measured and I was impressed with him after the game. Yeah, absolutely, he did well to keep his calm. Really, moment of the week. I'm going to go with Roy Hodgson, who's now gone five games unbeaten at Old Trafford as a manager, most of them with um, uh, Crystal Palace and one with Watford, I think. Um, and it, I, what what I loved was his interview at the end of the game um, where, <laughs> when he said, I've been told it's now five unbeaten at Old Trafford, but I can't remember <laughs> any of the others. Um, I know yeah. how you feel, Roy. That's what happens when you get a little... <laughs> <laughs> a little bit ancient. Um, but, I mean, he, he's remarkable. I mean, the game plan and his enthusiasm and his intelligence um, is, is, is something to it's something to behold, isn't well, it? I, well, I don't... I told you, I don't want to like Roy because he left me out of the Euros 2000 <laughs> squad. Do you know what I mean? I don't... I, I, I shouldn't like he's, him. He knows, he's, he's, he knows his stuff. Right? <laughs> yeah, it's more evidence right there. <laughs> I, 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 I just... You know, I, I'm not hate's a strong word. I don't want to like him, but you can't help but love the guy, mm. you know? And even just his, his, his interviews after, he's so articulate. He don't mind having a go as well. You know, we had the incident a couple of weeks ago where he's sort of squaring up to someone. I just I just think he's done fantastic things. And my mate, uh, Vieira, was at Palace and when he left, I thought, oh, okay, bring him back in Roy. Is it the right fit? Mm. And it certainly has been. It was no fluke either, by the way. They, um, they deserved it because they defended heroically. I think it was Ward, Anderson, Gehi and Mitchell. They were absolutely fantastic. They chucked themselves in front of everything. They got men behind the ball and Anderson got the goal, of course, from the corner also, which was a hell of a finish. Um, so there was, it was no fluke at all. You can imagine him just saying to his players, go out for the first 20 minutes and frustrate Man United and this crowd will get on the top of them. And that's exactly what happened. And Man United were really poor, ran out of ideas and couldn't get through that defence. Absolutely. Good way to finish. Um, got anything on this week, Alan? Midweek, anywhere? Yeah, something <laughs> on Wednesday evening, Gary. There's a rather large and important team player game 
Come on to St James's Park, Champions League, PSG and Mbappe. I can't oh, wait. So who's going to mark Mbappe, Alan? Trippier will mark him out the game. Oh, <laughs> don't go early, Alan. Don't go early. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to that game as well, though, Micah. Yes, I'll be working there for uh, for CBS. Yeah. Um, that'll be nice, actually. Well, is there anyone you don't work for? Well, you've got to pay the bills, haven't you? Yeah. Come on, Al. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm enjoying your hat today, Micah. Oh, uh, for those that, oh, of you yes. who are listening to the podcast, he's got kind of a, a beige outfit with a, a kind of... How would you describe that hat? Yeah, like? so it's like a, um, it's a beige uh, trilby, I think trilby. these are called. Yeah, trilby. Trilby, and I got some um, some brown and sort of cream specks to match the, the shirt with a watch as well. It's my uh, baby brother's birthday today, so I'm going to go for some nice dinner at the Ivy. It's today. How old is he? He's going to be, well, he's 34 today, yeah. 34. He's, he's just a little bit younger then. What's his name? His name's Meshek. M-E-S-H. Micah and Meshek. Yes. M &M. From the Bible, Gary. From the Bible. Is it really? I, I, it is. Okay, it is. I'll tell it's you from, the, from the Bible. But, but, I hope you're going to go home first before you go and get changed. You go dross. You go dross. Oh, dearie, dearie me. Uh, it's not bad for you, Alan. Happy birthday, Meshek. Uh, and um, have, cheers, have a good cheers, night. Gary. Have a good night, Micah. Thank you very much. Uh, goodbye, everyone. Goodbye from me. Goodbye from me. Be careful tonight, Micah. <laughs> Always. <laughs>